Welcome to Any Way You Want It. I'm your host, Kaylin McDuff. I'm an LA-based coach for women who want to create lives based on desire. Here on the show, we like to have real conversations about sex, relationships, and life through talks with everyday people, experts, friends, and everything in between, I give you a plethora of options, different relationship models, new mindsets, perspectives, and paradigms. Listen for what sounds interesting to you and follow that. This is just the beginning of you having a life designed entirely from the specificity of your desire. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode. Um, I am so excited for today's episode. If you could just see me right now, I'm like bursting with joy um, because I am accompanied by Natalie Thiel. Um, She is, well, who she is to me, um, this woman coached me for, I don't even know, over two, two and a half years. I think we lost count at a certain point. Um, and you know, more than that, more than just a coach, like she is a sister, a mentor, um, a trainer, um, a sex expert, um, an intimacy expert. She's an orgasmic mom. Um, she's just, uh, living a very luscious life. I will say in short. Uh, she, she lives up in, uh, Mendocino County, um, is the mom to three beautiful, adorable children. Um, and she's a dancer, uh, with the Mendocino dance project. Um, she's been coaching for, uh, what is it over 10 years, 10 or 12 years, Natalie? Yep. Yeah. And, um, and she, it, it's all word of mouth. Um, which is not surprising to me because if you just talk to this woman, like she's pure magic and she supports people around their desire, um, relationships and, um, and sexuality. Thank you so much for being here, Natalie. Oh my gosh, Kaylin, I'm overwhelmed by your introduction. Thank you. (laughs) I'm honored that you asked me to be on this show. Thank you. And I'm super stoked to be here. The yeah. feeling is hundred percent mutual. Oh, yay! Well, yeah. As I was, as I was saying to you, you know, when when we first uh, were kicking around this idea, um, like one of the main reasons I wanted to have you on is uh, because I think you are such an example in the world of a woman who is like deeply conscious and in her desire and like right with her sexuality Mm. and you're a mom (laughs) not to one not to two but to three kids and so I think um just you know what we're doing here on the podcast is really opening people's minds up to like just different models and mindsets and like what is possible in the world Mm. so for me you are um you're living this life that I think like most women out there would look at and say, wait, hold on a second. Like, how can you have all of that? Mm, Yeah. Women become mothers. And then so often, you know, I see it's like overwhelm and like 
losing touch with their sexuality. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so the thing, you know, this, the thing I always say about you is like, you are an orgasmic woman in the world uh, who gets the kids to school in time. <laughs> <laughs> now I know that. And now there's Zoom calls on to. <laughs> Now there's Zoom calls. So so I really want to get into today, like just talking through, um, you know, motherhood and your relationship, your marriage, you know, um, and all of that. Uh, But before we do that, I just want to kind of give our listeners uh, a quick, like, how did we get here, Natalie? Uh, yeah, let's see. I will give you the super nutshell version, but as potent as possible. Love that. How did we get here? Well, I, um, I mean, for starters, I've been a mother forever. My oldest son is six, is going to be 16 next month. Oh my gosh. I've never not been a mother as far as I'm concerned. Uh, and so that's been a long and winding journey. But when he was two or three years old, I found um, an organization, One Taste, and called uh, that teaches a practice called orgasmic meditation. And um, I started to take workshops there. I was fresh out of college. This was in my early 20s. And um, um, the really short version is that particular practice changed my life and changed the course of my relationship to my body, my relationship to my partner and my children. Um, my husband, his name is Paul. Uh, we actually met at one of the first events I ever attended there and, um, you know, grew a friendship and then grew a relationship. And, um, and so that's the foundation that actually is inside of our relationship in a really big way and has, uh, I think shaped and informed our marriage and shaped and informed the way that we parent and definitely all of the sort of passionate career and purpose choices that we've made over the last 12 years. It was 12 years ago that I, uh, started practicing orgasmic meditation. So, um, And that's been a, I would call it a heartbeat through my life since then. Um, And, you know, when you talk about sexuality and being an orgasmic mom, I attribute a lot of it to that because um, it's something that I can anchor back to. How about that? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Hear that. Well, and... Um, so some of my listeners might've heard the mention of orgasmic meditation, mm-hmm. um, in other, in other episodes, cause it's, um, it's been a huge part of my life too. Um, but for those of, uh, for the, for listeners who have not, for like for the first time, they're hearing the words orgasmic meditation. Sure. <laughs> they're probably like, wait, hold on a second. Can you just back up? <laughs> Yeah, this is great. Um, And I I think it's good to be thorough. And I also say it's, you know, this is, it's interesting because I was raised, I was raised in the Bay Area. So I was also raised attending a meditation ashram as well. Uh, That was sort of my baseline. And so meditation was something that I was familiar with. Uh, Orgasmic meditation was something very different. Um, so it is a, and I've been teaching orgasmic meditation in one way or another. 
since, since, you know, 12 plus years ago. So it's a partnered practice. Uh, it's a partnered sexuality practice, but also very much a mindfulness practice. And uh, it does involve genital contact. So uh, it's always the woman, or if you have a clitoris, we like to say, <laughs> if you have a yep. clitoris. Uh, then it's a practice of timed for 15 minutes. Um, the stroker who could be a man, but not necessarily strokes the woman's clitoris for those 15 minutes. And there's no goal. That part's key. There's no goal. When I say no goal, I mean like it's not to get her off super good or climax in crazy fireworks ways. You, you simply just to spend those 15 minutes listening to your body and paying attention and uh, noticing what arises. And um, that could be a lot of sensation in your genitals. It could be a lot of emotion. It could be, wow, all I can do to think about is the laundry and how I need to work out the kids' schedule, hypothetically speaking. <laughs> <laughs> hypothetically. All of those things could happen within those 15 minutes. Um, and you know, you see over time longitudinally with this practice, uh, there's a, there's a ton of benefits and, you know, like I said, I've taught this for many years, so I could go on and on and on, but I won't. Yeah. Yeah, totally. <laughs> that's the brief version. Um, and that's yeah. what I mean when I say orgasm meditation. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I love the way you talk about it. Like, it's like, it's the thing you anchor back to. And really it's like what I hear in that is it's just you anchoring back to you. Yes. You know, and this is just, this is a tool to be able to do that. But I love this part of your story because, you know, if we kind of went over the last 12 years, right. And like followed the whole journey, it's just a story of you going back to your, coming back to your body, like 100%. just like yeah. over and over and over again. Yep, that's about right. And that's true with, with OM, with orgasmic meditation, with my dancing, yeah. with really anything, especially as a mother, that feeds and fuels me. Um, yeah. that, that, that matters a lot. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I think women need to hear that. <laughs> like, over and over again, getting back into our body. Yeah. It's the only game in town. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, okay. So, so walk us back a little bit. Um, cause I do want to zoom in, in on your marriage with Paul, okay. uh, your adorable, amazing husband. Yes. Um, <laughs> so t tell us what, like walk us through kind of some of the, the initial, like, I know you were friends first. And then I think there was like a moment when you were like, Oh wait, hold on. Maybe I'm drawn to this guy. And and you had your son at the time, right? Yes. Yes. So yeah, just like walk us through. And the reason I think this is important is um, because I do want to like look at some of the ways that you've just created a conscious partnership, you know, mm -hmm. over time. And so I'm curious, like, how does that sort of thing start? Mm. <laughs> um, let's see. There's... Um... I could probably pick and choose from a hundred different starting stories uh, because there is definitely um, a lot around the way that we began inside of a conscious community that really mattered. And so communication 
really even when we were just had met and, and were just friends, communication was at a deeper level of intimacy than some other relationships that I had had prior. Mm. Um, and then in terms of the evolution of our partnership and really deciding to be partners, that is all very, very complicated, but I will pick out <laughs> one moment, you know, when you said, you're like, there must have been some moment. Well, there were many moments, but there really was this one moment when, um, you know, it's one thing to date somebody and to be intimate and to, uh, you know, even engage sexually and emotionally and all those things. But there was definitely a moment for me when there were, we got closer in terms of letting him into my family life. Um, and, I had taken him on a trip and my son, who was, you know, he was a toddler at the time. Um, we were at a big family camping trip actually that I'd been to since I was a kid every year, my dad and his community put on this big thing. And anyway, I brought Paul <clears throat> and I was totally undecided on Paul, by the way, at that point. And my <laughs> toddler pooped his pants and and, um, you know, I caught wind of this. He was playing and, you know, re re returned to me with poopy pants. And Paul goes, hey, buddy, come on. And he takes him into the, and this is a campground, mind you. So it's like a camping shower that he takes him into. And he strips the kid down, my, his kid. He's now his kid. He strips our child down <laughs> and uh, wipes him down and cleans out his underwear. And no wrinkled noses, nothing as if it was, he didn't even blink. It, it was remarkable. And I remember thinking at the time, is this what? partnership feels like <laughs> I've been off and off a single mom until that point and um it was definitely a deciding moment and I tell the poop story because I think that it's so indicative of uh, the depth and level of intimacy that you're really getting into when you're embarking on a marriage especially when that has children in it <laughs> So I would say that that was sort of a founding moment in our, in our relationship. And it all kind of, um, it stems from that. It's a ridiculous story, but it stems from that level of intimacy. Wow. Wow. I, oh, thank you so much. I'm just picturing. I told you that story? No, I've never told, I've never heard that story. And I love the moment of like the realization of like, wait, like, is this what partnership is like? Yeah. yeah so at that point, we'd like theoretically discussed the sort of, yeah, dive into the shadow and the down and dirty, like, huh? but when you're literally handling shit, can I stay on this show and <laughs> ask you that? Yes, <laughs> it's a whole other story. <laughs> yep, we are. We are full. Whatever language supports you, Natalie. We are. We are non-discriminatory. <laughs> yeah, but when you're literally in shit. Yeah, which when you're getting into parenthood, that that will happen. So, yeah. So there yeah. You go. Okay. So one other thing I just want to highlight before we move on to the, you know, cause I want to hear, um, just about, you know, kind of where your marriage is now. Right. Um, but one other thing, um, that I just want to zoom in on for a minute, 
um, that I've always kind of just delighted in about your story is the way that you talk about that, like Paul was not necessarily in your preferences. Oh, for sure. For sure. <laughs> so he's still out, to be honest. <laughs> And oh my gosh. Okay. So break this down for us. Like just say more about that. (laughs) Um, well, uh, I mean, when I first met Paul, he said something really, Paul bless his heart. If you, if anybody had met him, he really, he's, um, one of the most candid and mm, himself kind of person that I've ever really met. He it's like, what you get is what you see is what you get when it comes yeah. to Paul. He just wears his personality on his sleeve. Which yeah. means that when I met him at some event we were at, he said something really crass to somebody at the event. And um, I was like, God, this guy's kind of an asshole. And and really, he was actually just being honest and truthful. Mm. And um, But yeah, no, I mean, uh, Paul is, I'll put it this way. Paul's from Wisconsin. He's very Midwestern, uh, lovely, wholesome, you know, was ready to get married right away. And I was like, no, I'm not getting married until gay rights. You know, like we're just, we were very different people. And, um, you know, and I have, I actually have a really solid relationship with my oldest son's father uh but you know I always kind of pictured myself with this sort of dark handsome broody dramatic type person and Paul is not that Paul is um you know I mean he's he's certainly kinkier than your standard midwestern guy (laughs) he definitely has the dad at the barbecue kind of thing going on as well and that is never something that I was really (laughs) yeah myself with and um and so uh, I think it, there's something, something that I learned early on that the difference between your preferences, like what you think you should want and uh, us women, we tend to carry around a long list, right? Right. Yeah. What actually your body and your spirit respond to can sometimes be very different. <laughs> I think this is such an important message for women to hear, you know, because I I think we've all like found ourselves in that, that scenario where it's like, wait, hold on. Like my body is telling me I'm wildly attracted to this person. Yeah. But my mind is like, no, 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 we don't do that. Yeah. I was thoroughly confused when we first <laughs> like your um, your desire does not care about your preferences. No, no, <laughs> I would agree. I'm really glad that you touched on that because um, 100. <laughs> percent And how did you reconcile with that? Like as a as a woman, as a single mom, like at um, that time, I would say I'm still reconciling with it. Honestly, <laughs> no, I'm serious. <laughs> there's, there's things that I, um, you know, uh, let me think of an example. Um, you know, serious things that, that, I mean, every relationship has their things, but, you know, I would consider myself a really deeply uh, spiritual person. I, I keep a set of practices that, you know, keep me in touch with, with that. And, 
Um, and not to say that Paul isn't a spiritual person, but he leads more with the, I was raised Catholic and therefore I'm an atheist and don't talk to me about that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is not in my preferences. Yeah. <laughs> and something that we butt heads about, you know, something that like, like he prides that he prides himself on, uh, you know, our kids not really being familiar with the, say, what was it? It was last Christmas that I realized that my nine-year-old doesn't really know the story of Jesus Christ. (laughs) (laughs) We have a big gap to fill here, you know, even just Mm -hmm. to like understand literature. (laughs) Anyway, I don't want to go too far off on this tangent. There's just like, there's places where, um, you know, we didn't, we haven't lined up and we don't line up and that's outside of my preferences. And yet inside the uh the tension of it that uh, you know I don't have that I no longer I used to but I no longer have that as a uh, requirement inside the relationship in fact I would say it provides a certain um, oomph uh yeah that's one way to create polarity Natalie (laughs) (laughs) I can I can think of other examples that's just the first one that popped up we're actively talking about it right now. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. And and what's the thing in you that was like, okay, but this is the man, this is the man for me. Um, I don't know if I ever had that moment, to be honest. I kind of just thought we would be, okay, how about this? I, um, Oh God, this is embarrassing. Okay, I'm gonna tell it anyway. <laughs> um, Paul was really insistent that we got married, like I said, and I was kind of not so sure. And um, it's not that I wasn't sure about him; I was unsure about them about marriage, right? Sure. And um, especially because I was, you know, and I was friends with a couple of people that were getting divorced, and divorce is really rough, and they were like don't ever get married unless you're a hundred percent sure. And I was like, how could anybody be a hundred percent sure? And this was, again, this is 10 years ago. We've been married 10 years. And so I finally, I was, I spent many, many weeks meditating on it. And I realized that um, Paul and I, this is going to sound bad, but it's actually a huge compliment to him and to our relationship that I realized that um, he would be a good person to be divorced from. Oh, and I say that because to to indicate the depth of our friendship, like our friendship, I feel like in our relationship, our friendship comes first. Mm-hmm. And so even when things don't really feel on or like even not that hot or, you know, we've meandered through a lot of different phases. And I feel like the friendship at its core is there. Yeah. And when I can't, when I felt that, then I felt like, okay, I can commit to a deeper level because no matter what yeah I love that (laughs) and it's still that is still true true. yeah but what a refreshing take on relationships and commitment and marriage (laughs) it's like literally anything could happen to us or to our relationship and I like so trust at a deep level who this person is yeah that's that yeah if we did choose divorce one day like I actually trust that too yeah yeah 
yeah, we are these um we are years ago one of the my mentors at the time said that you can never really know a person until you break up with them. (laughs) (laughs) And then you really get some of their real behavior. uh, You know, in the early, you know, Paul and I, we had a couple of stop and starts and um, he's just, it's, there's, yeah, kindness and friendship and those things matter. Totally. Totally. Thank you. So let's fast forward um, to your marriage now. Okay. Um, so I know, uh, and I don't know all the ins and outs of this, um, but I know you've had different relationship agreements across time yes. and that you're really in the practice of just, you know, taking inventory and looking at where you are and what you both need. Um, so, and, you know, I know you've been monogamous, you've done open relating, you know, kind of various forms. Um, so will you just talk a little bit about, um, like the agreements in your relationship and, uh, you know, how you create those together over time? Sure. Um, where do I start with that? Um, yeah, we have been in a number of different forms and phases in our marriage. Um, there have been, Hey Natalie, let me, let me, let me interrupt you. When we use the word form, let's just clarify for the listeners. Okay. (laughs) Um, uh, how do I put it? Um, well, even just even agreements, right? Like yeah. I think that agreements is key when it comes to a relationship. And I, I work with couples as well. And it's one of the things that I start with is, is making, um, getting clear on what agreements are. And when I say agreements, I mean the, the things that we um, uh, assume that will take place in our, in our relationship. And these can be either covert or overt. And I find that most of the time agreements are covert and whether we're conditioned on them or not. Right. So things like, um, you know, if I cook dinner, you'll do the dishes. And that could be something that we've said out loud or something that you just assume. And so when the other person doesn't do it and hold up their end of the bargain, there's like, yeah, sneaky. <laughs> right. So when I say agreements, I mean, um, I mean that, and I also mean the process, you know, for us and my, you know, with Paul and I, it's been a lot around navigating and negotiating those agreements overtly so that it's not, um, uh, they're not undercover agreements that we didn't realize the other person had, but they're all over overt stated Hey, um, I'm going to do this role. You do that role. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when I say, and then, so back to form, when I say form, I mean the way in which those agreements come together to create your relationship. And, yeah, totally. and so for me and Paul, uh, that's changed a lot over time. So yes, we have been in, in periods of open relating, um, where one of us or both of us at the same time have a different lover or, um, you know, and that's been for a lot of different reasons. You know, I remember there was a period of time, this is years and years ago, 
um, when Paul felt really, um, he's, he's kind of, he has certain nerves and is shy around certain women. And, um, you know, and I remember thinking that I don't want to be the person he hides behind, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like I think when you get married or when you're in a committed relationship, it's kind of like, there's a lot of assumptions that, well, cool. Now we don't have to handle some really challenging aspects about ourselves ever again. And, yeah, you know, and then the, but the downside to that agreement is that it usually looks like the form of, okay, here we are, we're together now. So I'll shut down my desire and you shut down your desire. And then we'll, so we can stay together and be <laughs> void of desire together and then wonder why the sex died. oh my gosh that is let's just like pause for a minute on that that is seriously uh that's what's going on in so many marriages there's so much fear out there yes to be fair it's hard to navigate these are questions and conversations to have you know right Um, Paul and I will, you know, we'll be watching a movie and, you know, like it's a married couple and somebody's like cheating on somebody else. And Paul's like, man, I'm really glad that we never have to do that. (laughs) (laughs) So weird. (laughs) You know, because we talk about everything overtly. So anyway, back to to us. And then there's also been times when um, we've decided, you know what, we actually need to be monogamous, not, I mean, we've been monogamous out of fear. Absolutely. I think monogamy, a lot of monogamy comes out of fear, but not all of it. I don't want to, I don't, I'm not, I'm not anti-monogamy at all. You know, we were like, actually it turns out we are avoiding a lot of things in our relationship by being in an open relationship. And if we turn to each other and be monogamous, we have to really look at some things and have some honest conversations. And we've had, Mm-hmm. Like that. Um, yeah. So we are, uh, we're very much monogamous now. We have been for a number of years, even before the pandemic. But man, the pandemic really <laughs> really <laughs> cemented that monogamy. Yeah, there's a whole other spin on monogamy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, and I want to just like uh, pause for a second and and highlight for everybody um, the like that over time this has shifted for you right and that like you are just in the practice of looking at what is really resonant what is needed and and at least from over here it seems like neither one of you is attached to it having to be a certain way and you're committed as a couple to like get having each other you know have your needs met and like being in your desire yeah I mean I and that's not to say that we haven't gotten attached to certain forms and we've Mm -hmm. absolutely gotten attached (laughs) to forms and not wanted to move out of them but because the friendship is runs deep enough you know there's been I think that's ultimately the current that's made our that when we can drop down into that, that's the current that, that makes those kinds of decisions. Um, and so, yeah, there's, there's a emphasis on, um, what, what's really right for us as individuals, what's right for us in, in the, as a, as a relate in, as a couple. 
And then also getting really honest about where our resources are. There is a limited amount of time, energy, and attention. I remember our second son was born and, you know, some, one of my dad's friends who happened to know that we were in an open relationship prior and was kind of like nosing into our business. He was like, so you're in the open marriage thing. And I was like, God, no, who's got time? You know? (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's like, I'm nursing a baby. I'm tired. We're just trying to get sleep. You know, that that step is really, they also are phases that pass and, you know, and, and in order to not get stuck there, um, a, a relationship has to evolve and change. And God, when you're with somebody for years, you're bound to end up in a location where you don't line up in yeah. career or in desire or in what you're pursuing in life. And we've had that and we'll probably have it again. And so, um, yeah, step by step, year by year. Yeah, totally. Well, and how did you navigate um, open relating and, you know, having other lovers and having kids being a mom? Well, um, uh, I'll speak for my, I, I want to be clear that this is not necessarily a prescription for everybody. This is totally was us. Yeah. You know, we are, we've, we like, in our previous phases, open relating has been separate from our parental life. Um, you know, so it's not something we're not bringing partners into the home or navigating that. I know that people do that. I think blended families are amazing. Um, yeah. you know, but I'm, that's just, those are the boundaries that we had during those periods of time. Yeah. Um, and so yeah. And then, uh, it's, um, like we're not, I had this question a lot, especially being a teacher and, you know, for a long time I was a public figure, uh, you know, and teaching groups of people and stuff. And people are like, well, how do you explain this to your kids? Or how do you explain orgasmic meditation to your kids? You know? Right. And I was like, my kid is like eight and all he really cares about is, you know, how to make his Minecraft thing work, you know, and I'm not sharing him the details about, or like how to stroke the upper left-hand quadrant of the clitoris in on minute nine of your practice in the same way that I'm not sharing with him the details of my sex life because of age appropriate conversations, (laughs) but I am really committed to modeling, um, communication and sex positivity and body positivity. And I, like, I'm more interested in being, uh, you know, like a model for those things than I am having really detailed overt conversations about that kind of stuff with my kids, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so in terms of the way we navigate it, we've, we've kept it pretty boundary to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. And in a way that I think is, you know, uh, more like a, showing positivity rather than telling the theory of it. Does that make sense? Is that, yeah. Yeah. No, it makes sense. I mean, it's, uh, 
your kids can feel your energy. A hundred percent. And so, you know, while I haven't been on the ground with this with you, I can just imagine that like, if you and Paul are both getting sourced and nurtured and you're in partnership and relationship about it, yeah, like yeah. kids can feel that. Yeah. Yeah. And we've also been and everyone with you making sure that if, like we're staying well resourced, like and helping relationships can get really messy and yeah, and all that stuff. And I think that we have we have to do it very slowly and carefully because, uh, or we have had to do it very slowly and carefully because we're more committed to making sure that the emotional field is really even and steady for the family, <clears throat> um, and that comes first. And so, uh, yeah, we've called it quits on certain scenarios and we've, you know, like things like that happen. So, yeah, yeah, totally. Well, and I just, in that, I just hear the, like, you are committed to something greater and then everything else is figure outable from there. Yeah. 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 Wow. Wow. Um, so one thing, uh, well, I, I have so many questions about like, yeah, just being a mom and being, uh, in this kind of a relationship. Um, but I'd love to hear, you mentioned like sex positivity and body positivity with your kids. Mm-hmm. Um, will you share just like what, like, what does the sex conversation look like with you? Um, <laughs> Mama Natalie, and you know, I know your kids are of different ages, right? So yeah, yeah, it's a whole experiment. <laughs> but yeah, like share. But I know you have a sixteen-year-old, um, so I'd love to hear uh, just like what what wisdom you're imparting on your kids, and like how your work has impacted um, them being in the world, and like their their you know discovering their sexuality in the initial stages. Yeah. Um, there's, there's a lot I could say on that and <laughs> we could have a whole podcast on we just, could. we really could. So I'll try to yeah. keep, I'll try to keep it brief, but, um, I've, I, I, I take those conversations very seriously and, and I'm, and I'm actually pretty conservative about it to be honest. And I, what I mean by conservative is, um, I, well, my poor, my 16 year old, I was a college student when he was a toddler asking body questions, you know, like, okay. like, you know, like a feminist studies college student. And I was studying like trans and queer rights and like all this stuff. Right. So I was like my cute little social justice warrior young person was, so I'm having these conversations. He's three years old or so. And, um, you know, he's asking, he'll, kids, they ask the darndest things like, mommy, when I grow up, will I have a vagina like yours? (laughs) 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 Well, no, because here's how it works. Yada, yada, yada. Unless you want one, in which case, you know, and oh my horror on his face. (laughs) And I was like, oh, not an age appropriate conversation. <laughs> You're so, like, unless you want one. Oh, <laughs> Natalie, I just, I love you so much. Yeah, but it didn't, it didn't fly. He was like, wait, yeah. 
what do they do? Then they cut it off. Anyway, it's like, so don't, you know, I wouldn't recommend that. <laughs> so I've been really careful about what the age appropriate conversations are. So that the sex talk is not a sex talk. It is many sex talks over the course of many years and many developmental yeah. is, you know, both my, uh, I was pregnant when my, when both, both the boys were between four and six. And so there was a lot of questions about how the pregnancy worked and, you know, and so the, the, the details about how you actually get pregnant took place then. And, um, you know, and, uh, my five-year-old, my five-year-old knows where her clitoris is. I didn't know where my clitoris was until I was a teenager, you know? Oh my gosh. I was just like, it's not a big deal. It's just like, what's that? That's your clitoris. Okay. You know, and reminding her, what's it for? Doesn't do anything but feel good. That's, that's it. (laughs) Oh my gosh. You have a five-year-old who knows that a clitoris's job is just to have you feel great. That's it. The only job. That's its only job. And and that feels like an age appropriate. have. She gets, oh great. Okay, cool. I've got a fun little button there. And then (laughs) my 16-year-old, you know, I, I did not have the porn conversation for months because I just couldn't figure out how to get in there in a way that wasn't just that horribly embarrassing conversation with your mom that you wish you never had. (laughs) Yeah. Very delicately. And I think I pulled it off. Um, So things like that were evolving. It's an evolving conversation. But again, I think even more importantly than the words that come out of our mouths are the, um, the attitude and the positivity that we bring about it. Yeah. Well, and I just, even just as you're speaking, the thing I really want people to hear is a, like the age appropriate thing. Right. Um, but B, like just the neutrality that you have around it, you know, because you're so practiced with just speaking about sexuality, you know, yeah. so you can just to your five-year-old like, oh yeah, okay, yeah, that's your clitoris, right? And kids are just mirrors yeah. for us, uh, of us. And so if you can bring that kind of energy, like, oh yeah, it's just like, you know, this is a thing we can talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, like you're creating a whole new wave of humans that can just speak about their sexuality. Mm-hmm. Like it's like what you had for lunch yesterday. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I love that. But maybe, but still have the, yes, that can speak about it as if it was having for lunch, but also understanding the nuance enough to mm-hmm. know that you maybe don't talk about it at lunch at school. (laughs) Oh, okay. That's actually really, I'm so glad you said that. That's a great distinction. Like having reverence around it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, 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 um, resonance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Teaching a five-year-old resonance. That's a whole. (laughs) whole I think that comes from really good boundaries and really, you know, low charge. But you know, like we we swear casually in front of our children, and we swear because it's not taboo, and so it's not an issue, right? And that with sexuality, it's similar. Just yeah, yeah, totally. So good. Um, okay, Natalie, so we're going to start wrapping up in a minute, but before we do that, um, one thing, 
So I can imagine there are, um, there, you know, just in the pandemic, uh, married couples in particular, they are going through it. Yes. <laughs> and, um, and so what, like what wisdom or advice would you give married couples who are like ready to strangle each other right now? <laughs> God, no pressure. No pressure. Uh, well, I can tell you what I did. How about that? Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, so, well, okay. Communication is key. And, uh, I think that, and, and getting inventive, right? Mm-hmm. So, so it's been a very challenging year and I'm a positive yeah. right side kind of person. Right. Totally. <laughs> and it's still been a challenge for me. And so, um, uh, some number of weeks into the pandemic, um, I was going out of my mind, not being able to find my own space and I couldn't hear myself think there was no break in between people at any given time because we've all been living on top of each other. Um, so I got my own apartment. (laughs) (laughs) I just love this so much. I was like, oh, I think I need my own space. And, you know, we looked at, you know, like, she sheds are a thing. Have you heard about this? Like, I have not heard about this. Yeah, you put a shed and you put it in your backyard. And it's the, you know, like, man caves and she oh. like Midwestern version of a woman having her own room and space. And I was like, I, I don't think a she shed is going to cut it for me <laughs> anymore. I need more than a she shed. And um, so I just started looking at my own apartments. And, um, and I was like, I, I like to travel. There's no traveling happening right now. I like to take weekends away. I'm not going yeah. anywhere. And, um, and so I, I, I got my own space and, um, you know, I split time between this place and that and, and I'm open and out about it too. You know, like, oh yeah, I got my own apartment. No, my husband and I are not separating. <laughs> together this isn't a separation in fact we're hoping it kind of sparks our sex life because it will create more yearning and longing and distance and um you know and the kids it because it's not a uh mommy and daddy are breaking up it's a yay we get an extra house where we can hang out and this one's cleaner thank you very much Uh uh-huh it's it's been a really, and then, and then I get a couple of nights off. Paul, Paul gets some nights off. I get some nights off. We get some actual, we have some overt agreements about how we navigate the space. And anyway, my advice is not necessarily take on a second rent. Yeah, totally. <laughs> my advice is get creative. How can yeah. we, there's some really serious boundary setting projects so that we can tap into ourselves and be ourselves and hear ourselves and do what it is that we like to do and create. I need time and space to write and think about my own thoughts without anybody around. And it had to be drastic drastic enough for me to actually have a a physical space that's different. Um, But I think that those are going to be the key things because I don't think this is letting up anytime soon. And it's, um, we're in the marathon, you know, in the heart of the marathon on it. And it's being really trying for a lot of relationships. Yes. Oh my gosh. The, um, thank you so much for that. Just get creative. And I think, yeah, that's such a good place for us to to end um, because really that is, that is the story of your entire relationship. 
like looking at, okay, what do we creatively want to, want to just make up here (laughs) and then let's just try it and see, throw some things at the wall and doing that in the face of like, you know, all of this social conditioning we have around what marriage is supposed to look like, what motherhood is supposed to look like, how we're supposed to be, you know, I love that you're like, oh yeah, no, we're, you know, this is not like a precursor to divorce. We're just like keeping things hot and getting to that. This is divorce. (laughs) And like, and people can like think whatever they want about it. And you just simply don't care. Well, I, I care. I care. I just, but I've found that I've actually have communicated it to, you know, our, our families, my in-laws know it's not like it's a secret yeah. and nobody's blinked an eye. And I think that's yeah. like the way that we transmit it. It's like, no, this isn't an issue. This is a creative solution to a really weird yeah. world problem. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Yeah. It's all, it's all about just how you relate to it. And then other people can just feel that. Yeah. And um, yeah. And trust that. Yeah. So great. Um, Well, thank you so much for sharing all that you've shared today, Natalie. Um, Thank you. This was so, so much fun. It's such a switch on our relationship. On our relationship. Yeah. (laughs) This, this woman, she knows all the dirty, dirty secrets of my life. Um, (laughs) So the tables have turned. Uh, So Natalie coaches um, couples. You also do singles, both men and women. Men and women. Great. Absolutely. Um, the individuals who are in a relationship, all kind do all kinds. Yeah, all, basically all humans who could benefit from opening their desire, their sexuality, creating clear agreements. Uh, Natalie is your woman. Um, how can the people get in, get in touch with you, Natalie? My email address is the best. Um, do you want me to name it out now? Oh, yeah, yeah, name it and we'll put it in the show notes. Okay, great. So it's nat.thiel, N-A-T, my first half of my name, dot thiel, T-H-I-E-L, at gmail.com. Amazing. Thank you so much, Natalie. Yeah, thank you. This was a blast. <laughs> All right, bye. bye. Thank you so much for listening in today. If you got something from this episode, please share it with someone in your life and pop on over to iTunes to give us a five-star review. I'm so committed to more people custom creating their sex, relationships, and lives from desire. And this podcast is a big part of that. If you have ideas for the show or want to learn more about working with me as a coach, head on over to my Instagram at Kaylin McDuff or my website, kaylinmcduff.com. See you next time.